I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Janine Chastain. We're collaborating on curated conversations to explore how the industry is changing. Together, we'll find ways to create new solutions to current challenges while elevating the value of architects. Welcome Welcome to to Practice Practice Disrupted. Disrupted. Hi, listeners. Hi, Janine. Hey, Evelyn. Hey, everyone. So this is our last episode for our first season. So we are going to be running things just a little bit differently. We are calling this episode an AMA, or Ask Me Anything, where we received questions through our newsletter and social media channels from our listeners to respond to. So rather than us asking questions to a guest, you guys are going to actually ask us questions. And we've invited a very special guest onto the show today, Demetrius Lynch, who is the backbone of the show. He edits every episode of Practice Disrupted. He is also a co-host on the show Spaces Podcast and is a co-founder and the chief creative officer of Gable Media, who is the producer of our show. He has played a huge part in ensuring that every episode of the podcast has come together on time and sounded really great. So we thought of him as the most appropriate person to invite on and ask questions today. (laughs) Great. Let's jump to the interview. So glad to join you guys. Uh, Good to be on mic with you. You are at the final episode of season one. Are you guys excited? Are you sad? What's how do you feel about wrapping up season one right now? You know, it's surreal for me because when we started the beginning of the show, it was towards the front of the pandemic. And so we were going into it just trying to continue on in our effort to keep coming up with new content and ideas to share with the industry. And it ended up expanding and from uh, initial, I think we said 12 episodes to 20. And then now we're at the end. And it's it's been the thing that I've been using to help me get through the pandemic. So each week having something to creatively think about and work on has helped a lot in terms of just keeping me going as things have been uncertain. And so it is kind of a um, surreal moment to be at the finale. Yeah, I actually, I literally sent over Janine a screenshot today of all of kind of the images from the Practice of Architecture website of, of all the episodes that we've done this first season. And I literally said, can't, can't wait to round this out with our final episode this afternoon. And I think it's, it's, it's exciting to look at that body of work. There's definitely with anything you do, it's all the emotions. Um, Janine and I tested our friendship at times. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, it's been interesting, uh, managing through all of the different personalities of the speakers that we bring on. And there's times when we felt that we were way ahead and doing good. And then there's times where like, oh, we're like, we need to get stuff to Demetrius now because we're behind to edit <laughs> and record it and we're running behind and we're feeling uh, not super healthy right now, but we need to get it in anyways. So I don't know. I think it's the ups and downs and the roller coasters uh, that comes with doing anything, anything new, but it is nice to kind of look back at that body of work and see like, I, I accomplished this in addition to everything else during the the pandemic. And, and, you know, the smallest emails, by the way, from the listeners just mean so much to us, the smallest little comments, 
Um, I saw a comment on the Entre Architect Facebook group where somebody else was asking for, for podcasts from specifically from women, you know, and, and for me to not have to post practice, uh, practice disrupted on there was just a really nice reaffirmation that what we're doing is meaningful to people. Yeah, I agree. And I, I just want to add that on our last recording, um, for episode 19, the, we got to the end and I was just asking Evelyn, like, how do you feel? You know, and I think we both agreed we feel really proud because this body of work is something that we have been intuitively working on through our own studies and work and research and conversations on the side and to actually bring it together to collaborators thinking about these things and trying to dig into it. It has been really rewarding to see the outcome of all of that hard work. So it's, it's a meaningful creation for both of us. Yeah. And one of the things you mentioned, Janine, the switch from 12 to 20 episodes was, uh, interesting on my end too because we we just had this curveball come in and it was like oh we decided we actually kind of like this and we're gonna ramp it up we have more ideas so we're gonna go to 20 <laughs> uh mid-season so that was pretty uh that was a curveball that we were able to adjust and and get that extended I don't even know if that was really picked I, up on the audience side kind of I don't switch. know I want to blame Mark for that one just because I he's not remember. here I think. <laughs> but, um, you know, Mark, who is one of the co-founders at Gable, I, I think he was saying that he was he was talking about 20 episode seasons. And then Janine and I were like, wait, weren't we only going to 12? <laughs> well, if they want to do 20, okay, let's do 20. So yeah, I yeah, I blame Mark for, yeah. for, for the curveball that you received. <laughs> yeah, thanks for running with it. You did a good job. <laughs> yeah. Always blame the person that's not in the room. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh so you you kind of given given a little bit of the insight already but can you guys speak a little bit specific to the podcast experience and how you've enjoyed doing architecture or doing um marketing is very different from putting a podcast together can you talk a little bit specific about how you guys have felt putting that together and the the details that go into putting that a podcast together? It's a lot more work than I thought it would ever be. So for anyone who says, I want to start a podcast one day, just know it is a ton of work. <laughs> and we only do half the work because Demetrius is the one that's editing us and actually making us sound a lot better than our recordings tend to come out. Um, especially those ones where Janine's recording after midnight to accommodate my, my motherhood schedule on the, on the West Coast. I was a complete newbie to podcasts. So, so it's just, it's just been an interesting process. Um, but with everything, I think there's just like this, there's this creative energy around it. And I don't know. I, I, I told Mark from the beginning many years ago that I was interested in doing a podcast and I didn't want, I didn't really ever want to do it alone. Um, and I, I felt I didn't have enough knowledge to go in and, and do it. So just Demetrius to have you has been incredible. But it's also been interesting to find my way through it. So I think it's a, a tribute to, you know, you don't really know what skills you have until you apply yourself. And then often that you find you have more in your toolbox than you actually realize. Uh, so I think that was a kind of a big lesson for me to just sometimes you just have to jump in 
uh, and get going. I told Mark this, I think, when he interviewed us, but I really love podcasts. I always listen to them when I was doing work for long hours. And I also listen to them when I want to take a walk because I'm an extrovert. I just really enjoy like the benefit of being able to turn on a podcast and feel like you're listening in on a conversation with people. And like, it almost feels like you're in the room, you know, being part of that conversation. So I knew I wanted to do a podcast at some point. It was something I'd written down when I still lived in California. And it's so surprising to me in, in a like, wow, that dream came true kind of way to be doing it. And I love it so much. Demetrius is fulfilling dreams. Yeah, no, I really love it. And I I just really appreciate that um, Mark and Demetrius, you guys have given us, um, you know, a chance to, to share our voices on your network. And it means a lot. And I like the work. I feel like I'm in the flow of like doing something that I'm good at and that I enjoy. And that's a nice change of pace, considering I struggled with finding that for a long time. I think there's like, there's the whole design problem attribute to it too, though, right? Because I think we're all designers, and it's it's never perfect. I don't know how many times I've just told Janine after she record, like we recorded, and she's like, I have no idea what I've said. And I was like, it's going to come out. One, we're giving it over to Demetrius, so it's going to come out fine. But literally, it it does always, I think, come out fine. But absolutely, there's like, this is the last episode and Janine and I are already thinking about how we can tweak the presence of the episodes on the website. We want to make it more accessible to a larger community. So we need to put the transcripts up there. Um, so I don't know, even though this is a last episode of season one, I still feel like it's very much a work in progress. And I will say, I just want to acknowledge the, Evelyn, you mentioned this too, like the creative part of it is emotional. And so there've been moments where Evelyn and I are like really heads down focused. And there've been moments where we've, you know, there've been a few tears like in, in what we're saying, because we feel so passionate about it. And to like, go through that creative process where you just leave it all out there and hope for the best is, it's an interesting experience to go through. I told my friends in San Francisco, I was laughing because one friend always she was like, gosh, like she was joking because I always have something to say, basically. And I told her, I was like, after doing the podcast, like, man, I feel like I've said it all. I don't even know what to say anymore because I just have been talking for <laughs> a whole four months about all the things that I've been thinking about for 10 years. And it's been it's been really fun to bring it into the world. Evelyn, you mentioned uh, that evolution of a podcast Mine, for instance, I would say I probably do about four to five different types of episodes within because I'm still trying to figure out exactly what I want it to be for, you know, somewhat of a long run. But it's a constant evolution of figuring out kind of what works, what's what what do people uh, enjoy as well as what do you enjoy. So it's kind of a, a process of figuring it out and tweaking things here and there. So you guys have, have done a great job with it. Have you one, has there been any surprises along the way that you just just came out of nowhere and you're like, I did not expect that at all? And also, one of the things that I noticed was my why changed from the beginning to where I am now. Has that also happened in this process of your evolution? Uh, <laughs> I, I think my why has changed in the sense that 
talking helps work through ideas. So in a way, it's like all of this talking has helped crystallize some concepts that I might not have otherwise had a thorough opinion about yet. Like one of the ones we mentioned in the last episode was just that the entrepreneur mindset for the individual career. Like I've always talked about, you know, our architects are are very passionate individuals. So it's really hard for us to kind of approach our career from like a business standpoint. But I but I think in the end, it actually helps us grow faster if we don't tie as much emotion to it, um, to necessarily to the, the work, the clients that we're we're doing and we th- we think about what we need to learn um, and what we need to develop and grow. So it's been interesting to me how saying all of these things out loud has helped crystallize that. I think that the why has been interesting too, right? Because I, I was just like, this is just another platform to tell our story, but I think it's also equally a place for others to tell theirs. Do you think you're finding out more by the also listening to others too? Yeah, I mean, I'm also learning. I'm learning so much, right? And that's, I think, also informing my ideas. The main one has always remained, right? It's called practice disrupted. I think we need to expand services. But but how we do that and, you know, how we change the culture of our firm, how we change business processes, they've, in a very good way, kind of broadened my viewpoint to a lot of different ways of going about it because I only had lived life experience up into then. So so that's been helpful. So I think, you know, the why has also been, you know, this isn't just a platform for me, this is a platform for for others as well. And our guests have been, like, honestly, very thankful for us to give them that platform. So that that has been equally as meaningful to me. Would you say that that's been the surprise is how much the engagement with others has evolved your thinking? Yeah. And these are people that we've been friends with, most of them, for a while, right? I, I just don't think we've like, and and on the side, we always talk about these things, but I don't think we've, it's that focused conversation that really, you know, helped us dig down deeper into what they were saying. I think that... um it was interesting just like how much the deeper conversation like expanded my view on that architects could be and do and and influence so much so much more no that makes sense uh janine well i think that the why definitely changed at the beginning this was coming from a place of frustration i think that came through in the some of the things that i had to say throughout the season and you know i i kept Sometimes I'd listen to it and I'd roll my eyes like, oh, I'm saying that again, you know, like uh, when I had this experience. Um, And I think now what I feel is like I'm finally, for the first time in my career since I've been getting paid to do work, stepping into work that I feel like I want to do and I'm meant to do. And I I really appreciate that because I'm sorry I'm crying, but it's just it's just been missing for a long time. And so it feels, it feels really good to have that in my life because I've wanted it for a long time. So thanks. (laughs) And I guess the surprise is that um, this work means so much to me because I feel like I've been seeing the gap for a long time. And I think the surprise is that it's like this, this process is like a charrette in and of itself. Like, 
when Evelyn and I come together and we have these really deep conversations, we work through things and we like figure it out together using our, our minds and our training. And when we bring our guests on, it's like they help us explore this subject deeper. And it's, uh, I don't know, it's just really powerful. It's like a body of work that feels like it needed to be explored and doing it together with a group of professionals feels really rewarding. Yeah. Um, it's, and just so that you guys know, as I'm editing, I feel a lot of that frustration that you mentioned. And I think, um, you know, getting emotional now is such a good thing because like you said, you hit this point where you, you're doing what you feel like you're supposed to be doing. And then listening to all of your episodes, I get fired up personally for some of the conversations that you guys are having, because I was thinking the same way that you guys thought coming into this, to creating this podcast, a lot of the conversations that you're having. I know myself and a lot of other people all had the same conversations within our own firms that we, you know, working for someone else. They're like, see these problems. And we're like, why can't you just make these changes? Um, so a lot of that conversation is happening on the, you know, mid level and lower of, you know, these, there are certain things that need to happen to improve the work environment and potentially, which would feed into a better practice as a whole. And it's just a matter of stepping outside of the old way and taking a little bit of a risk to explore other opportunities and to try to improve your business. And as a, younger to mid-level person you see it and you you don't have that fear of risk (laughs) so you're just like just do it just do it and being able to voice that and hopefully to start to get those conversations a little bit higher I think will be beneficial for the industry as a whole Um, so I'm glad you guys decided to start to do this and uh, it's been interesting to see the evolution from my side of your conversations how you guys deliver your points and your ideas. So it's just been a, a amazing experience from, from my side, just to see you kind of navigate this whole process. Um, so let's jump to a listener question. Cause I know some listeners want to hear the responses to what they had to ask. So we'll start with this first one. Um, what changes required by COVID-19 will become permanent and how will they impact the profession, good and bad? I, I well, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping, I don't know. I, I think I need to start viewing the profession as glass half, um, half full rather than glass half empty. I, there's, there's things that I hope stay afterwards, uh, right? But um, I've been in the profession long enough to see how things tend to bounce back, even the Great Recession, right? And we resumed as as things were before. But my, I mean, my biggest hope, especially as we enter being Generation X and not even necessarily millennial, but especially as I'm entering a, a place in my life where I'm, I have two young children, but I'm also um, in the not so back of mind, I'm also thinking about the caregiving aspect of my my two parents. Uh, who are aging that the nine to five business day kind of disappears. That it's really bit a lot more about you perform, performing when 
you perform your best and, and getting in the hours you need to complete the task, but not necessarily counting the cumulative hours too. Uh, so I would, I would hope that this kind of idea of flexible work schedule continues. That would be my biggest hope for, <laughs> for COVID-19 and the architecture community going forward. I also think there's a, a greater understanding of the tools that it takes to necessitate remote work. Like it took a big incident, right? For everyone to begin to explore these tools. But, you know, is there a way to continue to explore those to- tools on a regular basis? Uh, because things evolve and change so much just so that we can continue to keep up with the curve. I would love for us to stay ahead of the curve. But again, that's my, my glass half, half empty perspective on the profession. So a lot of the stuff that I talk about in this season, you know, it's based on my own opinion, but it is definitely backed by, as you said, Demetrius, shared opinions that like, just, I don't think other people uh, will say it sometimes in professional settings, what they're thinking um, when they disagree. And so when I say things and I generalize things, what I mean is that, you know, I've worked with other people that are my age and younger and they feel these things. It's not like an imaginary thing that I'm making up. So the one that I know is on a lot of people's minds that sit in offices all over the architecture community is the remote work piece, you know, for for a very long time since uh, the age of digital technology has started going in the direction it has, people want to be able to have more flexibility and work from home. And architects were largely really resisting this, except in a couple of instances where firms had the resources and the money available to support it. And this has prompted firms to not be able to hide behind that excuse of not doing it anymore. So I I really am hopeful that firm owners don't revert back to five day a week because I don't think people want it. And for the culture of the firm, I think it's not a healthy thing. I think to Evelyn's point, there's there's flexibility, but in more so it's about um, giving the options for some remote work to allow for more flexibility, more um, individual preference, because, you know, not everybody wants the same thing. And that's a big takeaway from our show. Yeah. Fully agree with that. On that same note, uh, this this next question, which uh, gets personal for you guys, Janine, I'll start with you. Can you describe what your work from home and or your recording setup is like? Interesting. Um, well, for those who know me, they know I moved from California to North Carolina last year, right before the pandemic. And part of that was to have more resources in my housing situation. I went through kind of a hard time out there with housing. So now I have a room that's my office my for my business. And I have, I've invested in some really nice recording equipment that I love. And I, it's basically a mic that's on my desk and I can move it. And sometimes I've actually recorded it, you know, in other locations, like when I went to my parents' house. So I can take it with me. Um, I had an arm at one point, but now I just have it sitting on my desk because it's a little bit easier to move. Evelyn? Yeah. So, um, well, right now I'm sitting on the bedroom floor in the back for this corner of the house because we're recording during the day. Um, so anytime that happens, I have to tell everyone in the house to be quiet because it was a house that was built in the 60s. Um, and, you know, you can hear everything in the house. 
I think when we just started too, I was like, there's a lot of lawn maintenance going on in my neighborhood because I could hear everything. But um, during the day when we're recording, we're here, I'm here. My husband and I share an office. It's a den. It's adjacent to the kitchen and it doesn't have a door on it. So usually him and I are trading off between the master bedroom when it comes to taking conference calls if we need to. And then if I do any recording in our quote unquote office slash den, it's um, after the entire house has gone to sleep, which means it's super, super late for Janine. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's the great thing about running your own business. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I'm grateful for her ongoing flexibility there. But yeah, right now, floor of the master bedroom sitting on two pillows. Yeah, that one always cracks me up um, when she records and she's on a pillow on the floor. <laughs> and then Janine, uh, I don't think you mentioned it. This is uh, you're in a just like a second room of your your place. Yeah, it's a spare room, and um, usually my big obstacle is my dog who likes to bark and it is very insistent on four o'clock walks and <laughs> um, does not like it now that we've been home for so long that. Um, we spend a lot of time in front of a computer not paying him attention. So <laughs> it's a constant negotiation of, uh, you know, how he's feeling and the things that I need to get done. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, so, sort of in the same vein, as far as offices go, there was this big trend of the open office that sort of was stimulated by the big tech firms and uh, everybody wanted to create this cool working environment. So with that came this this whole new culture of how you set up your office, your company office. Do you guys think, you know, after going through all the conversations you had, uh, in particular with in reference to culture and considering COVID, do you think the office will change and culture will change moving forward? Yes, definitely. I have a lot of opinions about this. Um I worked at a lot of open offices and I have to say I'm not a fan and I hope that trend goes away because when you don't have control over your space and you have to sit next to someone or you um, are put in an environment that uh, has too much background noise or it's too quiet or whatever, it's it can sometimes be really disruptive to your workflow. Um, I remember at one point I had a I had a principal that just was really opposed to people wearing headphones and he just thought it was kind of like disrespectful, I think. And what I don't think he realized is that it was so distracting to sit in a room that had no noise or it had too much noise or if the person next to me happened to be yelling about something like to that I had to go buy fancy headphones just to block all that out. And so to come back to a spatial conversation. I think, yeah, I do think it's going to change. I think, um, well, obviously we can't sit near each other quite like we used to until things get resolved. So it's going to change the way we design. Um, I think with the increased remote flexibility, it's going to change the way people want to work. And I think uh, just open office should, should be rethought anyway, because it doesn't work for everyone. And the most important thing I want to say is that I think you framed it earlier as mimicking tech companies and the culture that they have with open offices and ping pong tables. Well, in architecture firms, we got open office, but we didn't get any ping pong tables. So I just want to make the point that like 
you can't hide behind this phony baloney culture stuff anymore. Like remote practice, trying to bring your team together over the internet, like you can't hide behind false culture anymore. So you're going to have to figure that part out. And I hope that people do because it's really important to the long-term investment in the firm. Yeah. I mean, so I have, you know, I'm, I'm investigating this daily kind of even in the work that I'm doing at Slack, but it's, you know, it's the whole move between this is my office to this is our, like, this is my office with my desk to this is our office where we come to collaborate and work together. I think I actually like the the open office um i i feel like i'm one of those people that come to work to socialize and then i actually go home to do the work um inevitably maybe that's what's made me like such a night owl um inherently because i don't get as much done during the day as i need to um it's just interesting to me um because there's this and i'm going to go on a tangent here but i i recently talked to a firm principal who's and and most by the way, I feel architecture firm principals are worried about that mentor-mentee relationship that is lost that comes with remote working. But we we recently talked about like, you don't really have access to the principal, you know, as somebody who's just drafting, you know, and this one would argue that like, oh, well, you're not going to pick up on the ambient conversations. And, um, and that's where a lot of the learning happens. And I was like, no, I actually think a lot of like people have headsets on in the studio. So I don't know how much ambient learning is going on through everyone's noise canceling headphones. So there's going to have to be like a a, pers- a perspective shift. And then Anne and Steph talked about this in their conversation, but there's going to have to be more intentionality with how you show up and when you show up together and what you do with that time. I think even even the culture of the AIA board, anytime I have to sit through a presentation I'm kind of like, why didn't I get this pre-recorded in advance? So when we come together, we can actually have a discussion rather than taking my time to sit through a presentation that I could have easily watched in the background while doing some work, but like digesting it. But anyways, there just has to be different intentionality about how you show up, how and when you allow people to digest the information that they need to digest. Um, and then what it what it means when you bring people to together and those times i think it's an interesting flip right like now i enjoy in the middle of the day going and giving my son and daughter hugs and kisses so i feel like even though i'm at work i'm getting to spend a lot more time with my my family whereas before i spent so much of my day and my week in the office so i was less intentional about my interactions with my coworkers but I feel like now we just have to, there's a specific agenda that you're always driving through. So in a way, it boosts productivity on like the one-to-one and the, the team level. If every time you come together, it has to be for a special intention and meeting and you, you have to have outcomes at the end of that. Yeah. So Evelyn, you talked a little bit about one of the things that you enjoy about being uh, working from home of being able to hang out with your kids in the middle of the day. Um, one of the questions that came in was, um, could you advise how can moms easily embrace the responsibility of being an architect? And Janine, you can also jump in with your dog. <laughs> <laughs> Furry parents. Um, this is actually a really hard question. Janine's like, Evelyn, you should speak to this. And I'm like, I actually, this is like, it's really hard. Well, 
I think it's like, cause you're living it. Like you can't see what I see and it's just your reality. That's the, that's the funny part for me is like, I'm watching it going, wow. Maybe you should talk to this because you've seen my evolution of being like, I mean, you've known me before, yeah. before I had a fiance, let alone before I had two kids. Um, I know. Well, so if, <laughs> if anyone knows Evelyn, then they know that she's a very focused person. She works really hard and she's really uh, focused on achieving really hard goals in her career. Like she has never hesitated on trying to go forward in, in like advancing her That's professional very kind growth. Of you. Yeah. I mean, I just think you're a determined person. And so like your career is basically has been like your highest priority, which I get because that is that's the same thing for me. And then at some point you got pregnant and you you had these two amazing kids and it was amazing to come and see you with these babies and how much it changed you. I think it made you have to pull back on that professional front in order to make space for them and and you love them so much it's amazing to watch like how much you're nurturing them and caring for them and um i watch you balance that like one example is just us doing the recordings you're so sweet with them they'll come in and they'll say um you know kenley will ask like a question and she'll and you'll say oh we can't do that right now mommy's recording and you're just very patient with them and it's sweet and and they're watching you work and um they're part of your life. And so I, when I see you balancing things, it's just like your whole world is, is that all together at the same time. There's no separation. And the other example I want to mention, which it's too bad it didn't get recorded, was when Jeff asked us to come do the professional practice class oh. at Ball State. Kenley joined us and was like sitting on Evelyn during this like Zoom call, um, which was really hilarious. And um, so we're, you know, zooming into this classroom in Indiana. And I just think it's cool. Like the that's a new barrier to break down for other women to see in that classroom. And for me to see a mom who's a professional, hardworking person integrating her children into her work in a way that's not separating, but together is actually really powerful. And I think more women would benefit by being able to see that. And it's not an easy balancing act at all. But you you do a very good job trying to accomplish everything. So there's different types. There's different type of mothers out there too, right? Um, I've seen a lot of women leave the profession to care for their children. Um, I've seen a lot of women try to split their time where, you know, they, they drop their kids off at, at daycare and go to work and come back. I think I, I've always been a workaholic. You know, I, I have sat in women's groups that talk about like, oh, I wish we had six month maternity leave and six month maternity leave would kill me. Like three months kills, like I studied to get my real estate exam license, my real, <laughs> my realtor license while on maternity leave. So I had like something to do. Um, so I think first of all, like that's the type of mom I am. Like, um, I will never be as nurturing as my nanny, but that's why we hire a nanny. I also, even though I'm in tech, you know, not all my coworkers have decided to hire a nanny, but that's something that my husband and I have decided to do. Like my ability to continue to grow my career, 
and stay on that path, even though the majority of my salary goes to my nanny, is because we've decided to commit so much of what we I bring to the table financially to her. But that's not always right for for every mother. There's definitely some mothers that would prefer to be a part of their children's lives, especially in year one to five. And and I love my children. Um, and I love getting hugs in the middle of the day, but I don't but I don't need to spend 24 seven with them. Um, and, and, and video calls are amazing <laughs> when you're on the road. And I feel like what I bring to the table of motherhood is endemic of like, um, so my mom got a master's in computer science after she had me at night school. And she, my dad traveled a lot because he worked at Los Amos National Lab and he's actually coming out here a lot to a Lawrence laboratory. So I remember long nights like when I was like five or six, where I had vending machine meals, because I would be out in like the student lounge of the local community college while my mom is finishing her master of science. Um, well, essentially, it's like a master in computer science degree after hours. So that's, that's kind of the role model that I have. And I, and I feel like so much of me is and so much of what I do is, is similar to kind of how my mom raised me. So let me ask you this to sort of pull more. Can you talk a little bit about your mental state in the transition from when you had a child? Like, where was your headspace in bringing a child into your situation that you already had going? Um, I was, was freaking, I was scared. I was even more scared with my second I remember sitting there eight months pregnant saying, like, we can barely ha- handle one. How on earth are we going to handle two? Like, we figured out a routine for me to go on the road with one. Like, I can't imagine my <laughs> husband with a newborn and, like, uh, a year and a half old because they're 22 months apart. So I guess, like, you know, a newborn and a two-year-old and dealing with that on his own. Um, thank goodness for husbands and, part- like, supportive partners, too, in all of this. Um, one mental state that definitely changes, I thought I understood mothers as a non-mother. I don't think you can really fully understand what it's like to be torn emotionally by your kids until you have like those kids in your life. Um, you do tend to prioritize things and you do decide like, um, in order to get sleep at night, you're like, you just, you just can't stay up to all hours. Um, I used to have a very scheduled life like right like it was really I would play in three to four soccer leagues a week they were on my calendar this is my work time this is my soccer time this is when I go out with friends and what motherhood has done and maybe this has actually helped me accommodate the pandemic more it's like I block out time but if things get shifted around it doesn't freak me out anymore it used to freak me out so I feel like I'm I'm more able to go with the flow of things if I need to, just because I'm so used to having my kids interrupt the flow of things now. Yeah, I would agree. Because she's always, she's very flexible, I would say. And you're always telling me, like, that that has been an outcome of you raising kids. Because, like, I will get really type A on this sometimes. And Ellen will have to remind me, like, to pull it back. I mean, it comes from the architecture. It comes from, like, the desire to have something perfect. And um, Evelyn will remind me that, you know, it's okay. (laughs) Was there any sort of conversation 
to yourself <laughs> or to your kids of how to be able to to manage both? Did you have to tell yourself, like you talked about, you know, being more flexible? Um, was there also a conversation with your kids of, you know, setting boundaries and stuff? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't. Well, my son, I think my son and my daughter are really intuitive, thankfully. Um, so they know. You know, it's funny, like how quickly, I don't know, my, my daughter keeps turning various different things into computers around the house and she's like sitting there and like, I'm working, this is my three-year-old. But she, she knows, like, um, so if I, after I finish recording and I come out of the bedroom, like the nanny has told Dee Dee, Candace, she has a name, we love her. She is a part of our family. She will have told the kids like, she, you know, mommy is recording. Um, and then the first thing I they'll say to me, like when I see them after I open the door, will be like, "Yay, are you done recording?" So they they know. Um, they usually they know when we go into the office that we're not supposed to go in the office. So it's it's more like, I mean, they're five and three now, so it's more about just setting like, okay, when I cross this threshold of this room, like you, unless you absolutely need something, and inevitably they'll come in sometimes. Like just don't come in. So it can't really be emotional boundaries for them because they just they just don't understand. So it's like whatever physical boundaries we can set in place. Those are some good tips, I think. Hopefully, I think that would answer <laughs> the listener's question. But we, yeah, I mean, our office doesn't have a door. So I definitely, there are people that have benefited from having offices with a door. So I think that, Evelyn, you do a really good job explaining to them like what's going on, which I notice. Like you pause and you'll... Just explain it to them, which is really good, helpful, rather than like shooing them away, which I know some parents do and can happen when you get frustrated, but you'll stop and you'll explain it, which is good. Um, so let's jump to this question to change the topic. How do I sell my architecture background to get interviews with consulting positions and are there companies you are familiar with that have architects and upper management that value my unique academic background? I can take that. Well, this can go so many different levels, right? So there's there's consulting firms and consulting. One for me is a hard one because consult. There's so many different types of consulting out there. So it really depends on when the type of consulting you want to do. What I learned about the big consulting, the McKenzie's the Deloitte's, the BCGs of the world, is that you have to understand their interview and onboarding process. You're you're more likely to get through that process independent of your background if you know how to do case interviews. And there are a whole bunch of books that you can go get on case interviews if you want to go work for a big consulting firm. And then there's like the IDOs and the frogs of the world. Um, and those people higher for diversity and background. So first of all, if you're in a company at more of more than like, I don't know, even 20 people, the partners weren't making the decisions about who is on my team, you're looking at middle management's doing most of the hiring, right? So independent of architectural leadership, I, I think you are really trying to appeal to the actual hiring managers um, and and sell your skills there. And then I think if they don't have an architecture background, you need to have the language to communicate your value to them and quantify it in ways that they will understand it. And then I think 
it's just dependent upon how insightful that hiring manager is. And if you are looking to get into a place that you're constantly fighting with a hiring manager saying, this is, this is my value, then if you are able to get hired, you're going to continue to be fighting with your manager about this is my value. So I don't know if that's a place that you want to, you want to end up. I think it's, if you're interested in going to consulting, it has to be an intuitive match between like what value you can bring and what value that they inherently see you have, or you're able to explain to them that you have and they, they realize. Yeah, I can say, I do know people, I know young designers who have transitioned into, um, well, I'll say one, I know one young designer who has transitioned into one of the big consulting firms and he came at it through a design angle. And so that's how he's found his footing in that world. But I agree with Evelyn to go into that world. The thing you have to do is practice case studies and learn how to do those so that you can go in and show them that you have the skills they're looking for. Uh, so it's a rigorous process. You can't just like skip that part. But if you're looking for other types of consulting, there's a huge wide range of options out there. And they like, for example, a really good friend of Evelyn and I is Susanna um, White, who who came out of the AIA and ended up going to work for uh, McKinley Advisors, which is a nonprofit consulting firm. And so she is a partner and she's FAIA and she's really good at what she does. And so She's found that path forward, but it's not a short-term game. It's like a long-term game. You've got to figure out what is it that you want to consult on? Where's your niche? How do you get enough experience and perspective on that topic in order to start consulting on it? Even in starting my own business as a consultant, I mean, it's taken me some time to like really find my voice in that. And so you know, it, it's just something that you you have to understand yourself and you're selling yourself as a consultant and your knowledge. And so it's kind of how you package it and present that body of work or that knowledge. So as I asked the question and as you guys started talking about it, there is a disconnect in my brain. And I assume there may be some in some of the listeners. How would you define what a consulting firm is? Like, what does that mean? And then how does architecture play a role in a consulting firm? Oh, that's interesting. Wow. Defining consulting. I think defining consulting is like a webster. <laughs> this is one where if I were, like, if we were on a YouTube channel, you would see me Googling away, like, what is a consulting firm? Um, I think... <laughs> So, so most consultants, you're helping an individual or an organization, like raise their value proposition, improve processes, understand new areas of business that they can grow into. So it's essentially, I don't know, coaches out there will probably disagree with me, but I feel like it's coaching uh, for an organization in a way, right? Like it's helping you get Janine's like squinting at me. So I know she disagrees with me. But I, I feel like consulting is helping you do things better, differently. Um, having a, a third party come in and kind of audit like what what you're doing and and where there are potential improvements. Um, and then there's like some consultants that stay around for implementation, but some consultants just kind of ha hand over the strategy and leave. Uh, so that would so that would apply to consulting for any company. It's just a matter of you trying to navigate 
uh, what the architectural background is applicable to contribute. Yeah. So I guess in the AEC industry, when you talk about consultants, you're talking usually about your vendor consultants, so your MEP, your structural, right? So I think there are definitely consultants that are complementary to you. But I think when Janine and I, or at least when I inherently define consulting, it's more about people that are uh, helping you lift up your business. Um, it's more on the management consulting side. And then to answer your second part of the question, where I've always thought architects could differentiate themselves is that we are one, a, a lot of what we're taught around design thinking, I think we actually, we actually need to switch that and we talk, need to talk about the value of systems and how we're systems thinkers. Because I think that actually has more play in the business world. And frankly, it hasn't been as overused as design thinking. But it's this notion that there's a lot of different things coming together in a 3D space that you need to solve for. So when we talk about being these incredible problem solvers, it's because we are looking at all of the various different inputs that are coming in to create a solution. And and that's a, that's a systems problem. And I think that's the type of like, that's where we excel. And then also where we excel is actually implementation. Because um, like I said, even even the big firms, they joke, right? I had a friend that worked for McKenzie for years. You know, they create this strategy and they don't necessarily help as much with implementation. Uh, there's even been a few times where uh, MK Think came in on the back end of somebody else's strategy and then helped them implement the consulting strategy. So so architects, I think where we thrive too is that we, we actually can deliver upon the strategy. Um, and we have a history of doing that with every single building <laughs> that we've built as, as just kind of it being a prototype. So, and, and finding your way through, through those things, right? Because every building is a prototype, we have processes, but, um, it doesn't mean that the output in the end is always going to be the same. And I think that's a, dif- like a different value prop that we bring too. Jenny? Consultants are thought leaders, problem solvers. They're what you're buying is their thinking and their knowledge and their experience. Um, so when you hire a consultant to help you with your business, um, they're coming in to help you look at a problem, and it can be any problem in the organization. Um, there's a lot of different types of consultants. Coaching is a different thing. I guess I'm squinting at you because. Some consultants coach, not all consultants coach. Um, con- coaching is definitely more of like a active about a person or people or teams kind of dynamic. And I think, I guess I think of consulting a little bit more broadly. And I, my work has been researching all these different consulting firms that do business management consulting in AEC. And there's quite a few of them. Um, but not as many as you'd think. I mean, it's mostly people who are doing it. Um, on an individual basis, there's a few practices of groups of people. Um, and most of them are working with a lot of the different leadership teams out there that are running these different firms. Most of them are ex principals and partners on a second career track. Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> so, so it sounds like your not goal, but what you urge people to consider is breaking yourself of the limitations of only being able to solve spatial, literal, hard spatial problems and think more of you are a person that can take in a lot of input, analyze it, and deliver and output a solution to whatever that problem is. 
and not necessarily it doesn't necessarily just have to be a building. Yeah, I think that's a really good observation. I think you probably said it better than I could have said it myself. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you should just erase everything we said and just like <laughs> respond to like, your own question with that with that very shortened response. Yes. Uh, so we are coming up to the end. Do you have ideas about this upcoming season? I do. Well, season one was a labor of love. Like I remember when we started talking about this, it was a process of just kind of like mapping out exactly all the conversations that I knew we needed to hit on and then trying to design design around like what what questions were we trying to answer and explore and then trying to align the right speakers with each of those different topics so we could touch on different things. So I spent a lot of time trying to come up with that and and we started some really good series this season too that I'm really proud of. I think the voices from the future of the profession is a favorite and the architecture and is something that I think we're starting to figure out. And I know those will continue on next season. And so what I'm imagining is we're going to take what we learned in season one after we have a little bit of time to process it and build on those conversations uh, in a, in a continuation to keep going with this work. Yeah, I think, I mean, I just have a list of people that I'm building. Um, some people that actually have reached out to us and said, I have a recommendation as somebody who you would be great on the show to offering a different perspective. After Rebecca mentioned how she was, or she had made heard of this group that was building on Mars, I saw a LinkedIn update date from one of my contacts, and he is now working with a group that is designing um designing for architecture on Mars. So I'm like, I need to bring him on practice disrupted. So some of it will be thought out. Um, you know, the ones that are the most thought out, I feel like are the the voices of the future of the profession. Um, we're definitely looking at what outside experts can we bring in outside of architecture where we can learn from them. And then I, I mean, I ultimately, and there's, def, there's definitely a few practices that we've identified that are doing things a little bit differently that we'd like to highlight. So I think it's it's going to be more of, I think, what everyone loves. And then for some, um, some very obvious reason, um, remote work with Leah was a, had a big spike in listening to. So we're, we're also looking at the data and trying to figure out like what are the most listened to episodes and where can we go deeper yeah do you guys have a personal favorite topic that you guys enjoyed yourselves that you want to dig more into no and maybe that's that's the flip for me like back if we go to back to one of your original questions like i've this is really actually a learning experience for me too so Rather than go like more narrow or get too excited, I think I'm more excited about like continuing to broaden my perspective on on what it means to disrupt the practice of architecture and really where where are all the opportunities and values that we can bring to the profession so that we can kind of share in upleveling design and architecture. So it sounds like investigating and amplifying rather than yeah. sort of crafting your own path in in the show. I think so. So that means for the listeners, if you know anybody uh, or heard anything, saw a cool article, make sure to pass those along. 
and then they could do the hard work for you and find those people <laughs> and, <laughs> and ask ask the questions of how they got to where they are and where they're going uh, with whatever they're doing. Yeah, I, f- I feel like we're building a body of research that hasn't been done yet. And I would ask our listeners to definitely send those recommendations. And, and I can't under express how important it is when we hear back from you guys. You know, we sit <laughs> in isolation most of the time when we're recording this, um, you know, just talking into a mic and we do our best to to bring ideas forward. But when we hear back from you guys, it really helps. It makes it clear that like we're going down the right path on things and or something's resonating. And I'll just, you know, to the question, I just want to say that I think my favorite episodes are the ones where I feel like we really connected with the speakers and they, they you know, I really particularly liked a couple times Evelyn brought guests on that I didn't know. And so it was really fun having those conversations, diving deep and building an unexpected connection with someone around something that we both really felt passionately about. Like I remember that happened with Dave Fano and then Mo, I think was a good one. And I knew Christina um, and Ming, but like, I didn't know them that well. And so just, I just really loved those moments of connection. They were very special. And then we had some really good friends come on that we do know very well. And so one that I loved was our reunion with Anthony and Andrew. Yeah. So I love the Practice Disrupted podcast. I think you guys are having some amazing conversations. You are a free R&D team, the way that I see it. <laughs> so anybody that's listening uh, is getting a lot of information that they don't have to do as much investigation on their end. Uh, you guys are doing it for them. So uh, you guys are providing an amazing resource, uh, in my opinion. So thank you so much for what you guys do. Um, really good stuff. And I'm looking forward to season two to see what, what you guys have, what you uncover. Well, that's a wrap on season one. Is there still a pandemic going on? Yeah, let's not talk about that. <laughs> so there is something, Janine, that I think you wanted to encourage our listeners to do. So when this episode airs, uh, it'll be right before the election. So hopefully you've either already gone to the polls or you are sending in your ballot by mail or you're going to head there soon. But anyway, please go vote. Yes. Plus, I think all the cool kids are saying to go and get the vote out. So I feel like we would have a little bit of FOMO if we just didn't say go out and go vote. Yes, at least I didn't say rock the vote. (laughs) But you just did. Okay, so we are taking a brief break during November and December. Much needed, but we will be back in 2021 with season two and more brand new content. So be sure you subscribe to the show or stay subscribed to get updates when the new episodes air. You can also follow us on social media at Practice of Arch on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We are also discussing the launch of a brand new online community in November, where like minds who are interested in redefining what it means to practice architecture can come together. To get yourself on the waitlist, make sure you subscribe at our newsletter at practiceofarchitecture.com. In the meantime, we're also taking on a few new clients for those of you who are interested in potentially working directly with Evelyn and I. You can reach out to either of us at either Evelyn at practiceofarchitecture.com or Janine, which is spelled J-E-N-E-N at practiceofarchitecture.com. 
Finally, and we did this a little bit at the top of the show, but we wanted to send out a huge thanks to Gable Media, both Mark and Demetrius, who without their incredible support and their work behind the scenes, this podcast would have not been possible this year. And we also want to thank them for taking a huge chance on two female entrepreneurs in this space. Yeah, absolutely. And you can check out their podcasts, which are Entree Architect and Spaces Podcast. Until then, stay safe, and we look forward to bringing you new content in the new year. See you in 2021. Thanks for joining us on Practice Disrupted, a podcast by Practice of Architecture. Visit us at practicedisrupted.com to find out more about future episodes and the changing nature of practice. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can learn more about other podcasts in our community by visiting gablmedia.com. If you enjoy the show and want to hear more content like this, you can help us by leaving a rating, review, and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to share with your friends and feel free to let us know what other topics or speakers you're interested in hearing about. Thanks for listening.